So it's been kind of a long road, I know, to get to this Sunday, but we have finally come to the end of a series, a series that began all the way back in Advent of 2018, which is really, you know, November, December of 2017, if we think of Advent in those terms. And it was a series that was on the Gospel according to Luke, and then the book of Acts, and finally this past year on the book of Revelation. At our sister church in Calgary, Covenant CRC, they considered all of these under the banner, Dear Theophilus, and for those of you who were here last week, you heard Pastor Matt preach the final sermon in his series from that perspective. Now at High River, I haven't often made it a major point, but we've had a slightly different emphasis all along, borrowing our theme from Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, which record the disciples' experience of the ascension of Jesus. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this same Jesus. And that's been the point of this series, to understand that the Jesus who we meet in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the same Jesus that is revealed to us throughout the book of Revelation as enthroned at the right hand of God in glory and majesty. And it is the same Jesus who is working out his purpose on earth as he reigns from heaven, accomplishing through the church and through the people of God his will for his creation. It is the same Jesus. And even though the word same in this translation was supplied by the translators, it really gets to the heart of the theme of this series, emphasizing that in all three of these books, in Luke and in Acts and in Revelation, the protagonist and the point have been the same. All three of these books are about Jesus. And more still, all three are all about Jesus. We're not meant to find Christ in the Gospels and something else in Acts and something completely different when we go to the book of Revelation. We are meant to find Christ. And that was especially important in the book of Revelation because so many people at so many different times have come to that book, as I've said before, looking for all kinds of other things. People come to the book of the Revelation looking for scary facts about the end of the world or for interesting tidbits about the mark of the beast, but it is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why this book was given. That is what we are meant to look for there, and that is what we find. Now, in some respects, you could say the same about the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is all about Jesus. And Matt and I talked about that, but we thought that might be a little bit long for a single series to just go all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Um, Besides... There's a theological point to be made here. Some time ago, I preached a sermon. I I think it was called Your Own Personal Jesus. 
And the title in that instance was taken from a song. And the lyric of the song goes, Someone to hear your prayers. No, I will not sing it for you. Someone who cares. Your own personal Jesus. And it's not that there isn't at least an element of truth there. There usually is, depending, of course, on how you take those words. The problem is that many times when someone goes looking for their own personal Jesus... They're not looking for the real Jesus. They're looking for their Jesus, or maybe Jesus as they perceive him to be. And even if they go looking in the scriptures, sometimes people get stuck at a certain point. Every year there are those people who make their annual pilgrimage to church on or about December 25th, looking to find their own personal Jesus as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Some may come back a few months later looking for one who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Certainly Jesus is to be found in both of those places. The thing is, when we find him there, we find him in what the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes as Christ's humiliation. And that catechism goes on to teach us that Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. And most of the Gospel of Luke, you may remember, deals with exactly that part of the story. Most of the Gospel of Luke is focused on Jesus in the state of humiliation. Now, just in case you think that the word humiliation is a bit strong, because I know some have actually preached that in humbling himself, he was kind of glorifying himself, something along those lines. But let me remind you of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. Although he existed in the form of God, Jesus emptied himself in the incarnation when he came into this world In fact, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's why those old Reformed theologians spoke of his incarnation as the state of humiliation because that's exactly what it was. It was humiliation for the Lord of glory who made heaven and earth and who upholds all things by his powerful hand to become a single cell in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He emptied himself. It was a humbling experience. Throughout his life, he endured the same sufferings and miseries that we go through because he lived as a human being in this broken world, and he ended his life on Calvary's cross, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross, which was about the most extreme form of humiliation that the Roman Empire ever devised. And if that was where the story ended, we might have found 
our own personal Jesus in there somewhere. But we have not found the Jesus who can save. Because Jesus had to die, that's true. It was his death on the cross. It was the offering of his body and the shedding of his blood that paid the penalty for our sin. For our sake, God made him to be sin. Talk about humbling yourself. The holy Lord of heaven and earth became sin. He who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was delivered up for our trespasses. But that's not the end. He was also raised for our justification. But that raising up part had another effect. Yes, we were justified. We were made right with God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus was willing to humble himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. There's more though. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So after Christ's humiliation came Christ's exaltation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Not God will highly exalt him. Not God will give him the name that is above every name. God has done those things. After his humiliation came his exaltation. And again, in the words of the Westminster, Christ's exaltation consisteth in his rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Because Jesus humbled himself, God has highly exalted him. And these two things cannot be separated. They cannot be separated in history. They cannot be separated in our theology and they cannot be separated even in our thinking. We would be wrong as one movie that was popular a few years ago had it, to pray to the sweet baby Jesus. He was the baby Jesus, that's true, but he is not now. It would be wrong for us to find in the suffering of Christ some sympathy for our sin that doesn't reach, as beyond, doesn't reach beyond atonement for our sin, and it would be wrong to find even in atonement for our sin a Christ who did not go on to be exalted by his Father to the right hand of his throne. If we think of Jesus only as we find him in the Gospels, it would be kind of like studying the life of Abraham Lincoln as a boy and as a young man in Indiana and Illinois, but leaving out that bit where he became president of the United States. Now, it's conceivable that some historian might actually enjoy reading about Lincoln's early life more than he would enjoy reading about the tumultuous years of the Civil War. But if he did so, if he focused on the early life and left out the presidency and all that went along with it, he would only have a part of the story. And in the same way, if we focus on Christ's humiliation to the exclusion of his exaltation, we have just that. We have a part of the story. And if that's the part we have, to borrow a phrase from the Apostle Paul, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
but Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. And not only did God raise him up from the dead, God raised him to his right hand and highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And by the way, we considered this a few weeks back in Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, that said he has a name written that no one can know. Not in the sense that no one can know what it is. We looked at that in more detail back then. Um, because that name is going to be written down in the very next paragraph in the book of Revelation, but in the sense that no one else can own it. That name cannot belong to any other individual in this universe but himself. In other words, the name that is above every other name. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, we're told what that is, and in finding out what it is, we find out why it cannot belong to anyone else, because on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which, as always, demands a hallelujah on the part of all of God's people, because the same Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross, was then highly exalted. And that truly is the substance of the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, risen and ascended in glory to the right hand of the Father, from whence he is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, until all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. Luke showed us Jesus mostly in the state of humiliation. That was then. Revelation shows us Jesus raised up and exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is now. This is the gospel age in which we live. God is king. Let the earth be glad. God is king even over COVID. Christ is victor. His rule has begun. Hallelujah. The Spirit is at work renewing the creation. Praise the Lord as we read in our contemporary testimony. So the resurrection and ascension of Jesus has implications for the world. His rule has begun. We sing a hymn, Rejoice, the Lord is King. We sing others, the Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. Though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is the message, the gospel of the kingdom of God. There is nothing at all in this world. There is nothing at all in our lives that takes God by surprise. Because there is nothing in this world and nothing in our lives that is outside his sovereign power and purpose. Not only for us, but also for the world that he made. His rule has begun. It has implications for the world. It also has implications for the church. It has implications for us as members of the church, for our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our, trans, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we're talking spiritual death and being raised up with Christ in our salvation and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only were we made alive spiritually when we came to God through faith in Christ for salvation, we were raised up with Christ and we were seated with him in heavenly places. I hope you've noticed that before as we touched on this. God didn't just promise that one day, somewhere out there, at the end of the world, he will raise us up. God made us alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive together with Christ. But he did not stop there. He raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with Christ in heavenly places. He made us alive together with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is another sermon for another day. It has implications for our salvation. It also has implications for our worship. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Luke. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That's the gospel of Luke. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that is revelation, and he did so, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is biblical Christology. That is biblical Christology in one paragraph and three books. He humbled himself, Luke. God exalted him, Revelation. And because of these things, we, the church, is called to bow and to proclaim Acts. And the same Jesus is in focus throughout. Someone, I I think it may have been Sinclair Ferguson, once said it takes a whole gospel to proclaim a whole Christ. We can't get stuck in Luke, we can't get stuck in Acts, we can't get stuck in Revelation, we need them all. It takes a whole gospel to proclaim a whole Christ, and it takes a whole Christ to make a whole Christian, something along those lines. And that's why Pastor Matt and I have tried, and I am sure that we have not succeeded, but we have tried to bring the whole counsel of God, the whole gospel to you in this series, even the parts that are not particularly comfortable. And I want you to notice that I am speaking of what is comfortable, not what is comforting. Because I think sometimes it is in the least comfortable passages of God's Word. Passages like those that we have looked at in some detail in the book of Revelation that were far from comfortable, but sometimes those are the most comforting passages. They're the places where we find the most comfort if we are willing to take the time and to suffer the discomfort of looking there. I think that's why it's important to see Jesus revealed in all three of these books. 
I think that's also important, or why it is important to understand that God has now, right now, today, already given Jesus the name that is above every name. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords right now, today. And he must reign, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, until all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. Until, not after. Paul does not say Christ has been raised up to his throne at the right hand of God and he must someday reign after all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. He tells us he is seated there right now and he must reign until his enemies have been made a footstool. All authority in heaven and on earth has been, past tense, given to Jesus. It was given to him in his resurrection and ascension. All authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because that is true, because he is King of kings and Lord of lords, because all authority in heaven and on earth has already been given to him, in the light of that, we are sent to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Now think about it. We're to make disciples of the nations that would be the nations that were given to him as his inheritance. That would be the nations which he rules even now with a rod of iron. And the book of Acts shows us what happens when the church militant, that is the church here on earth, recognizes that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, takes a knee before him, bowing to him, and then going out in obedience to proclaim to the world that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I think sometimes by pushing everything off until the resurrection at the last day and the end of the world, we assume that somehow things in history right now are in some kind of a terrible downward spiral. And that God is somehow not in control of all of these things and that Jesus isn't king now, but he might be someday, but that is not true. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And that's why after his ascension to the right hand of the Father, a group of about a hundred people went out into the world and turned it upside down by proclaiming that very message. Did you ever wonder why? 11 in the upper room, and then later I think about 120 in the same upper room went out from there, and in a few years' time, within about 30 to 40 years, had transformed the face of the Roman Empire. And yet today, by very optimistic estimates, I will grant you, but by very optimistic estimates, about one in four or one in five people on this planet claim to be Christians. But we look around, especially here in North America, and what we see is the church in decline. Why is that? And I think it's because we have forgotten to bow that before we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, we bow and we worship and we submit ourselves to him. And I want to leave you with just this. 
because I think we tend to gravitate towards Jesus in his state of humiliation, and that's okay to a point. The writer to the Hebrews tells us there's something to be learned in that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That was Jesus in that state of humiliation, and we find comfort in that. When we are tempted, we can find comfort in knowing that he was tempted in the very same way that we are, and yet through the Holy Spirit, remained sinless. We know that he understands our weaknesses and our frailties and even our sin. But sometimes I think we have this sense that that means that Jesus is just there to come and sit with us in our brokenness, to pat us on the shoulder and to tell us, well, it's okay, I understand you're only human. But in reality, the very next verse, in the light of this fact that we have a high priest who does feel our weaknesses, one who was in every respect tempted, just like we are yet without sin, then goes on to say, let us then, let us, in the light of that, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I want to ask you, what do we do when we come before a throne. Even in this human world, if we were to approach the throne of a reigning monarch, what do we do? We bow. Even Meghan Markle had to learn how to curtsy before her mother-in-law when she came into her presence. When we come before a throne, when we draw near to a throne, especially the throne of God, we bow in worship. We acknowledge that he is God and we are not. We acknowledge that we are sinful and he is not. We proclaim that he is Lord. Lord over the universe, Lord over our church, Lord over our lives. And we do so to the glory of God the Father. And I think that the reason we gravitate towards him in his state of humiliation is because we naturally rebel against him in the state of exaltation. We want all of those vast benefits divine, but we want them on our terms and preferably without having to take a knee and bow to the Lord of heaven and earth, without having to change our lives. But I want to ask this, what if our brokenness What if our sinfulness, our weakness, all of the struggles that we have, what if they are largely a result of our unwillingness to submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ? What if Jesus really is the answer, whatever the question may be, but not merely as an exemplar? You know, the little bracelet, what would Jesus do? By far a better question would actually be, what did Jesus do? And not merely even as a Savior. Certainly Jesus is both of those things. He is our Savior, and He is our example. He is a pattern for life for those who have turned to Him alone for salvation by grace through faith. But what if He becomes those things when we bow before the name that is above every name? 
and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? What if the answer to the struggles that we are going to experience when we go out from here and we go into the world this week are found in not the question, what would Jesus do, but in the question, what does the Lord of heaven and earth, the King of kings, require of me in this situation? And I think that's where we often miss it. We seem to think that if Jesus would just comfort us in our affliction and distress and give us whatever it is that we think we need in our current situation, if he would do that first, then we would worship him. But I think the scriptures would bring us to the place where we worship him first. For all that he is and for all that he has already done in giving us life and raising us up and seating us with him in the heavenly places. Not for the things we want him to do, but for what he has already done. And then as we worship, he pours out his grace and spirit and he gives us what we need for our current distress. And he comforts us in all of our sorrows. I think I shared this a few weeks back, but another pastor recently shared with me that his father-in-law, who is now with the Lord, used to say all the time, we will never understand the word of God until we stand under the word of God. And I think that relates to this. It also relates to where we're going to be going in our next series, which is on the book of James. A little bit of a spoiler alert there. But we will never understand the word of God until we stand ready to submit to the word of God. It's in being the people that God calls us to be that we come to understand why he is at work in this way in our lives. And we will never really experience the comfort and consolation, the peace that God promises in his word until we are ready to submit to that word, to bow the knee and to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the message we proclaim. He is Lord of creation. He is Lord of the church. He is Lord of our lives. He is Lord over all of the political structures that think to govern us. This same Jesus, the Jesus of Luke and Acts and Revelation, is in fact King of kings and Lord of lords, period. The Jesus of Bethlehem's manger is the man of sorrows on the cross, and he is the one who rose victorious over death and hell. He is the Son of Man who ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Lamb of God is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and the Lion of the tribe of Judah is Lord of heaven and earth, Lord over all. So let me just conclude this morning with that amazing declaration that we found at the apex of Revelation. Chapter 11, verse 15. When the seventh angel blew his trumpet, then there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Hallelujah. For the Lord God 
omnipotent reigneth, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, show us Christ. Show us Christ in all that he endured for us and for our salvation. Show us our Lord Jesus Christ seated in glory at your right hand. And show us Christ at work in his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And as we see Jesus, this same Jesus, in all of those places, Father, graciously bring us to our knees in humble worship and adoration and commitment to live as he has called us to live and to proclaim that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, that others may hear and believe and proclaim that he is Lord, that you may be glorified in and through your people, the church, we pray in his name. Amen.